0: This week on Fit for Purpose, I talked to Baroness Helen Newlove, Helen's Pro-Vice-Chancellor of the University of Bolton. She's Deputy Speaker in the House of Lords and she's a former Victims Commissioner. Helen's story is far from typical of someone you might normally find sitting in the House of Lords. As you'll hear, it's an inspirational story about how much she's achieved as a campaigner, what drives her, but also finding out about the very practical work she's doing now on social mobility and spreading more opportunities in communities where it can really make a big difference. Baroness Helen Newlove, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Obviously, 2020 hasn't been an ordinary year for any of us. How have you been holding up through the pandemic?
1: No, thank you for the invitation. And um, yes, I think everybody has kind of been jolted into a different atmosphere with this pandemic 2020. But I think what I have I have gained really as the Pro Vice Chancellor of the University of Bolton is more access to students online than I would have done physically, um, because it's so busy. But I've just thoroughly enjoyed having that interaction, albeit on a virtual platform. But I think it's I've learned so much about the university that when we lead busy lives, it's kind of cut short. Do
0: you feel like in, the, in a way, having to do a lot more stuff online has just opened up that channel to really work for a university like Bolton in that it's another way that it can reach a wider group of people in the community and it can also remove some of the barriers that people with very busy lives might have had to learning at the university?
1: Yes, you're spot on because we are so busy. And of course, always been in London for political, um, you know, roles that I do as a deputy speaker, but I've really enjoyed it. And I think the accessibility to to engage with students. And I think it's really important that students see that, you know, the top executive board um, rolling their sleeves up and actually trying to make the best uh, of a situation so they still enjoy their education journey. So I've thoroughly enjoyed that that kind of interaction with the students and the, the rest of the staff who've worked so hard behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, and it's been a mammoth effort, hasn't it? I mean, everyone's been really busting the gut to make sure that education continue can continue and I think that for students when they see people trying so hard to make sure they can still keep studying I think it genuinely brings it home to them how important those courses are that you're putting on you know for them to be able to succeed in their later lives
1: it is and it's so important because the you know the media rhetoric uh, you know, yourself, Justine, from your, you know, being a minister and, and everything, the political rhetoric and, you know, it gets really interpreted wrong and you feel that um, people don't understand you, I don't want to know you, talk about you. So when they see that interaction from the top to the bottom, I think it really encourages them to feel that like they are part of a team, part of a family. And it was so important to do that you know it's very important to engage and not just for the students but also for the younger students with the parents because parents were concerned about their education so i think we've worked really well Uh, and um, you know i've done some uh, open days with with parents as well face-to-face all of course when we could get the ppe and, and all the screenings but it's been really important i think we've learned a lot about each other
0: And I think, I mean, obviously you're, as you said, you're pro-vice chancellor at the University of Bolton. You have very much described it as being like a family and and the work that it does boosting opportunity in your region. And actually, frankly, the north of England more generally. Tell us a little bit more about how you got involved with the University of Bolton, but also from your perspective, what it does that matters so much for, for those people whose lives it's able to touch.
1: I'm really, first and foremost, I'm a really proud northerner and when I went to Westminster I felt it was very southern, while I've got fantastic friends and I I do love working in the House of Lords, when you feel that people don't understand what happens in the north, uh, it gets very irritated in a sense that, you know, there is hardworking people, we don't live in cloth caps and clogs and um, you know, so for me I'm very proud, so having that opportunity Um, Firstly as Victims Commissioner to do a law lecture there, which was really inspiring and and something I've always dreamed of doing, to then having to be um, having that interaction as Pro Vice Chancellor. I was so excited. I mean, I'm one of them people that likes to roll up the sleeves and get stuck in. I don't, you know, titles are wonderful, but it's what you do with them, Justina. It's like, like yes. you're doing now with social mobility pledges. And it's, so I think it's really important to, to bring the North uh, back into the Westminster bubble. And there are so many talented people. There's so many hardworking people. And and so for me, I am just absolutely um, love this role. And unfortunately, the, you know, with the pandemic, it's, it's kind of also stopped a lot of that face to face but you know it's what you bring to the table and encourage people I'm just a working class you know uh, from a very working class background so I really want young people to to really do well for the future.
0: And we're going to come on to if you like your own journey and the work that you do now in the House of Lords and I think just before I do that Helen I mean From my perspective, obviously, I mean, Bolton University itself has been on a journey, hasn't it? And there's been a huge amount of work to see the university steadily climb up the league tables. And that really matters for the local community, doesn't it? Having high quality education right on its doorstep that is at higher education level.
1: Well certainly I think you know we're very proud people and I first interacted with Bolton with Bolton Lads and Girls Club so Bolton has always been in the heart of of what I do but I think it's really important especially when we hear the high end of Cambridge, Oxbridge and Oxford and, and I think it's really important that our communities should be proud of the university you know Uh, The Vice-Chancellor, Professor George Holmes, has been working from day one. He's been there 15 years and he has really, really built the university to stand proud. Uh, He really works for the, the students and for me that really makes people understand Bolton. Un- you know the University of Bolton is something to be proud of and you know not just for young students for mature students for businesses to engage and all this the schools you know the, the hierarchy of the schools as you go through and that's what I'm really proud of is you know we're all equal and we all should have the same opportunity and pathways and that's what as soon as I walk through the door, I feel that with Bolton um, because the you know the university is a family. The university and the staff that we've got there really care and want to make it work. And with the pandemic, we have seen a vice chancellor who has got so much vision and has invested over a million pounds into that university to ensure every student has a right of an education in a university safely and healthily.
0: So I really believe in all of that and I think. The challenge, I think, for, for many communities is you get into a catch-22 situation. You don't get the investment from the outside or the jobs, high skilled jobs, because you're not having enough high skills locally, but you don't have the high skills locally because actually the argument is, yeah, but there aren't really the jobs for them to go on to. And I think it's absolutely key that you break that cycle. But the question is, how do you do that? And I think the reality is a university like Bolton is probably one of the most important ways in which you can start to create the higher skills in bolton locally that will then bring in that investment over time if you can then have that effort that you've got locally and regionally married up if you like with a wider economic strategy on leveling up then you really start to get into a position where you can genuinely make a difference to people's lives and i care just like you Helen about equality of opportunity there's just as much talent in communities like Bolton as anywhere else the key is you have to be able to unlock it but that starts with making sure there's an education system on the doorstep that can develop it and from my perspective that's what the University of Bolton can do it can really be that catalyst for making sure as you say not just young people but frankly people at different points in their life who maybe gone out of the education system but now want to come back in and and better themselves through through continuing their education that that's something they can do on the doorstep and a lot of people have really busy, busy lives they've got caring responsibilities they're not going to be able to go away to university so actually having it on the doorstep is is just the difference isn't it between able to being able to to do a degree go to higher education and not for lots of people I think
1: you're spot on there, Justin, and I think I think it starts with with the messaging that you receive as an early age. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people um, put these kind of communities like Bolton put them down before they even began their journey Uh, it goes from the you know the junior skills to the high skills and and everything and we've got to encourage that culture change of being proud of where you live and about the investment the investment's so important because like you say you can have you know you can have as many policies as you want but we need that investment to bring on board you know there's going to be opportunities of jobs but it's also to recognize it's not just about academia it's about practical skills and I think that's where we you know any government goes wrong it swings one and it swings the other and I think this is where Bolton has really you know gone up the league table number one for student satisfaction in greater Manchester uh, is because we have invested both you know for academia and practical skills because practical skills have been lost along along the way and so a lot of um communities where you know they're not academic but they're not stupid are very bright on the practical skills you know um we've kind of not brought that up and i think that's what we do at university of bolton by all the investment we've actually put on the university um you know we are world-class dental uh, dental techniques and um, students going in there we've got a and that huge law school so that you know opens an avenue for for law firms to come and have a look at the quality of skills that we deliver there and we've also very good on the um special effects for movies you know we've had movie companies come in and use the students uh, for what their, their skill set is so i think if we balance both it has a really good message out there that we serve the community and this is the quality we can give you there's always everything you can add to that but it is about making Making the region shine. You know, I mean, I think that, that the problem is Greater Manchester, there's so many places within that. Um, and you just focus on the centre of Manchester. Whereas on the outskirts, we have this, you know, we have this fantastic university that people can travel locally. So there's no stress of getting there. And we have, you know, we have a huge medical school for nurses. I mean. We could really you know get so many nurses every year we can't get enough opening avenues for them but i think because it's local doesn't mean to say that it doesn't give that value that excitement of gaining a degree to mm. carry on in the you know the high power city of london it's so important we we, we really bring them along culturally and positively
0: and then what you're doing of course is helping to provide absolutely vital skills for the local NHS. And as you say, in some of those growth sectors of the economy, like tech and creative industries, also starting to really allow local people the chance to get the skills to thrive in those. Now, Helen, I wanted to ask you about your own journey, which is pretty unique. Um, I mean, obviously, when you became a peer in 2010, um, I think you said at the time you're an ordinary woman propelled into a high profile by a set of horrifying circumstances you wish never occurred. Obviously, your, your husband was was tragically beaten to death. But on the back of that, you ended up going into the House of Lords. You became a massive campaigner and victims commissioner. Um, tell us a little bit about that journey and and how it was for you, because it was just such a massive change in your life over a very short period of time. Yes,
1: you're quite right that the journey, um, obviously, I wish Gary was still alive, but it was immense. And, And I did feel, you know, imposter syndrome entering the House of Lords just on the induction day because... Everybody spoke posh, and um, I don't, you know. I'm not, you know, I just don't. I wasn't a lawyer, I'm not a barrister, I'm not an accountant kind of that quality. I'm a working class woman. Um, and for me, to be given the opportunity to take a seat was just awe inspiring. And, you know, even going when they do the checks, Justine, you know, to be a peer in the House of Lords or take a title that's something that, you know, I've never envisaged or would have to do or think about so it was a journey right from the beginning of being asked by David Cameron after doing lots of campaign with with him yes but when I did go for the induction um, I have to say the people were absolutely and still are wonderful it's the most respectful place but it is very much where um, you know you say to your you know daughters your family when you go for interviews oh you're fine you're as good as that you know the rest of it but when you, you know, even whatever age you are, it still gives you that kind of gut feeling thinking, I'm not clever enough for this place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so I did feel like uh, Hilda Ogden, where, you know, that's a generation <laughs> thing. You know, it's kind of, I think, oh, you know, somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you're in the wrong place. But I have to say, with all the respect of all my colleagues, um, they have welcomed and I've learned another education, actually, Justine. it's yes. I love history. It's a fantastic place. And I'm
0: about it. Isn't it, being in
1: yeah, an it, incredible can...
0: blend of today and everything that's going on today and you're at the centre of that, but at the same time surrounded by history. It's incredible, an incredible place.
1: It is, it is it's absolutely. I mean, you know, you get your pegs when you go in. It's like going back to infant school where you've got <laughs> pegs, with, yeah. you know, your rucksacks. That's kind of, oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, uh, you know, from the doorkeepers, Um, As soon as you go into the police offices, security for people in cleaning, the catering, they are without them, it wouldn't stand. You know, they do. They're so intricate into the workings of the House of Lords. But it was, you know, I just kept thinking something's going to go wrong in all of this. I'm really, you know, I, I shouldn't be here. And it took a long time, actually, Justine. And it was my friend who, you know, when people ask you, what's your background? Why have you come into the House of Lords? That was where I was very conscious of, well, what do I say? Uh, And I used to say like, obviously about Gary's murder and what we did. And then kind of either some people would stop in the tracks and haven't got a clue to be perfectly honest about antisocial behavior. Mm -hmm. Or some would say that's, you know, it would be like a jaw dropping, how do we move on? But then my friend who was my mentor, which is Baroness um, Trish Morris of Bolton. Yes. uh, yes, yes. The full circle of, of how we met. Um, she's just said to me, you know, I'm absolutely going to give you a slap on the back in a minute because, yes, the circumstances are horrendous. Yes, you know, it, you would want it differently, but it's your voice. It's your passion. You're changing things that has got you in the House of Lords. And that was the turning point of saying, you know, I've got that's how I can do more work. So. It was, it is, and well, it's still an education. Uh, there's so many things like, you know, yourself in the House of Commons, there's so many things to, to think about, uh, but I'm really grateful, uh, you know, for Baroness Morris, uh, you know, to actually give me that steer and help me uh, gain some more confidence as
0: I've gone along. And do you feel, I mean, you said you learned a lot yourself, but I'm sure the many peers that you've worked with have learned a lot from you. I mean, you will have been able to presumably have given them a real insight into, as she said, some of the issues that ended up being why you're in the Lords, but also, you know, your wider lived experience and social mobility.
1: Yes, I mean, you know, as, as they became a champion for communities, which I thoroughly love traveling, then, uh, um, you know, to help on the alcohol funding, to, to get diverse programs to help communities, and then, you know, sitting as the victims commissioner, which I did for seven years, they understood the victims journey, because I, you know, I always say I'm not a policy person, it doesn't mean to say I ignore it, but I think we need to, um all along the way is understand the emotional journey for Mm -hmm. what people really go that the true impact the true trauma and so the policy should fit around that trauma not policy expecting the trauma to fit into that and as, as the years went on there was you know and still is huge respect um, but you know for me I can't sit there and be a yes minister when yes. I know people are hurting, people are suffering and children are suffering and for me that has given me a great platform to challenge the government and um, and at times where they get it right praise the government.
0: Yeah and you can you can be a very credible voice in all of that um, alongside a real range of people from all different walks of life who end up in the House of Lords which I think is fantastic. Well, Sorry, go on, Helen.
1: No, no, I was just going to say, in a sense of, which is quite uh, ironic, because my friends say, you know, and my uncle, um, Gary was the social person in our marriage and family, and he would, you know, love laughing and joking with people. If you went to family parties, he'd get you on the dance floor, and, you know, you can't sit, we all have a good laugh. And I was the quiet one, and now, you know, my family and friends were just amazed how I can stand up. They say the mouse now roars like a lion. Um, And and that context is really, I'm proud of that because it does take a lot of courage to stand up as you know yourself, yeah. even if you're confident. It's, it's you know, everybody's looking at you, aren't they? And it, it doesn't matter, but it and, and you know, especially in the House of Commons, I've got huge admiration for you, Justine, because it's more even, you know, God Almighty, I don't know how you do it because they're it all going to the pit
0: in there,
1: yeah, bear pit. And whereas we are more a bit, um, sedate, shall we say, and in the House of
0: I, I always used to say that, um, wandering through from the Commons to the Lords was. It was almost like suddenly receiving the political air conditioning <laughs> it all got a little less tense
1: it, it, um, it, it, up it your is, you end than it
0: was at my end at times
1: that's why i got great admiration for women in the house of commons per se because it is very very um male dominated you know in the government but it's also that hearing your voice and i think that's the bit um that i have in the back of my mind that you know the lion is roaring because i've got three daughters who are my heroines, but also I need to make them look that they can have a better life, they can have a voice and they can be proud of who they are.
0: And I'm sure they're very proud of you. And of course, alongside all of that work in the House of Lords, you also set up your own work in Warrington, New Love Warrington, with three specific goals around inspiring people, um, motivating them and encouraging them to really play a positive role in their community. Tell us a little bit more about what New Love Warrington has done over the years.
1: Well, again, that was a journey that I didn't have a vision after a 10-week court trial. Um, I just wanted, uh, we wanted to do something. Uh, Warrington people are, are, are superb. They still are to this day. Their, their support has met, meant huge, huge, you know, impact on me and, me and my daughters. And Again, somebody asked me, "What you know? Do you want to start a charity? What do you do?" I've never done that, Justine. I was a legal (laughs) PA. I've worked in courts, you know. And I'm thinking, well, I have no idea. And in Warrington, it's a very rugby based um, town. And we have Warrington Wolves Foundation, which supports um, the community, huge investment in the rugby. And they took me on board, I have to say, and were wonderful. They showed me the ropes. They showed me what board meetings are like. And Mm -hmm. we decided to do a, a launch, New Love Warrington, which the girls designed the logo. It was just immense and so fast. But again, I just, you know, I went round asking for begging emails for celebrities. And um, we got a huge um, Simon Moran, who is part owner of Warrington Wolves. Never heard of him, Justine. Somebody said, well, why don't you write to him? He'll help with the tickets. And I was teaching him what to do. And I didn't realise how big he was. <laughs> he just <kicked> gigs <laughs> and tours. He has all these bands. And he was just lovely. And his PA was lovely. We're good friends. And Peter Kay came on board. And um, it was, you know, he phoned me up and and at the Trafford Centre in Manchester and I thought it was my nephew taking the mickey because he was going garlic (laughs) bread. And, uh, you know, why would he phone me? And he rang me back when, when I got home. And um, it, we had a wonderful chat and he would have gatecrashed the event, he said, if I didn't want him. Uh, and I mean, what do you say to that? So it was a whirlwind, but it was an opportunity then to launch New Love Warrington. And what we, we did, we, we wanted to do with whatever money we raised, a radio station, a community radio station for the community, because that's mm-hmm. what Gary was, a DJ a music. Mm-hmm. and music. Um, and we had a fantastic evening. And from then on, we'd set up the project we had fantastic support from the university because I'm, you know, I like the University of Chester, which is part of Warrington. We mm-hmm. have the students because it's very techie. I mean, you're talking 2008, you know, that's where I hadn't a clue how to set any of this up, <laughs> you know. And so it was a learning curve of that. We've got Noel Edmonds, we've got the Bauer Group Radio, we've really? got all the celebrities. I even had David Cameron on, I interviewed Gordon Brown. I couldn't get Nick Clegg though, that was the only downside Justin. And um, so it was about our aims was at that stage was obviously alcohol was a big big issue in 2007. We had high rates of youngsters drinking alcohol and it was, alcohol was, was really high in Gary's case and I just wanted people in Warrington to have, you know, the future was going to be bright, it wasn't going to be about crime or if you were going that way wanted to inspire them and motivate them and so we involved the university there we involved the college um we set up a two-week we thought well nobody's going to be interested so we did a two-week plan and boy is it expensive for radios i tell you i've learned so much about that as well uh and um the, the college in the afternoon the students would pop along baking cakes for us and they took part so it was very much it was a shop in the centre. We were given that. We were donated furniture so people could prop in. And it was very much come in, have a chat and see what we're doing so you could see the DJs out on. And it was 24-7. So I was really grateful for the big stars locally and also the, the, the community who absolutely loved it and still email me today and say, is it still going on, you know, on air? And i think, thinking, no, we could only afford the, the two weeks. So from there, you know, it was an opportunity to give something back, uh, show Gary as a person about music Mm -hmm. and um, we had just a fabulous, it was just a fabulous time to do something from something so negative.
0: And I think what it shows is there are all sorts of brickbats that get thrown at in life and in the end there's only so much you can do about that but what you can control is how you respond to it and Whether you can try and create something positive out of the very worst situations that happen, and I think clearly, Helen, you know that was the approach that you took, which has really been inspiring for so many people.
1: Yeah, I I mean, no, you know, I didn't have a vision, I really didn't, but we needed to do something because once the court trial had ended, you know, we had to move home because it was outside our home. It's the loneliest place to be, and when you shut that door, the trials open. That's when your life. Begin so I became the main breadwinner. I had three very traumatized and still really uh, children uh, because Amy was twelve, Danielle was fifteen, and Zoe was eighteen. You know mm-hmm. they'd lost the father, lost the home, and so this huge amount of pressure. But with the support from people who wanted to help us create we had an absolute ball with them. And I cannot thank them to this day enough for it, but it also ensured and gave other people that they weren't on their own because I think you feel that very much on on your own. Uh, So I was very grateful for what they did. And also, I I also then made documentaries uh, going into prisons, Mm -hmm. looking at communities right across the country, which, you know, that was really interesting to see uh, about antisocial behavior and people's attitudes and also ensuring what the prison section was like because I wanted to learn uh, about what was going on with the system and also give the girls an opportunity to see that you know you know we can get past this we can get you know get out of bed uh, but I'm not saying it didn't come with its trauma as well yeah. it's not you know it's not all rosy but I think it's about for me it's always been an education um, and for me I'm really grateful because it's enabled me to to go further than I thought I would ever. I've achieved
0: and it's been a journey and so if you look ahead now Helen you know where's next for you obviously very involved with the University of Bolton which is fantastic but what are the other things on your agenda you know at the House of Lords
1: Yes, I mean, uh, you know, there's still a hell of a lot of work to do. I mean, there is legislation, which is important. I love being a deputy speaker. That mm-hmm. You know, um, that's another learning curve. It must a bit so... of a
0: job keeping those lords, lords in hand. Yeah, hands.
1: and because it's very constitutional, again, you know, it's very, you do it this way, you don't do it that way. And people think it looks so, I mean, my colleagues make it look so easy. And uh, again, it's had to change with the pandemic how we with the role in the House of Lords, the Deputy Speaker. And again, I have to, you know, I get annoyed in a sense that you can't be a Deputy Speaker unless you're there now personally, which I think then if you don't want to travel or whatever from the North, um, I think that, you know, really kind of chops us away for the ability of being taken part. So that's still something I go on about. But I think for me, it's, I want to now take what I've learned the highlight of being a victims commissioner was not just being the, the victims commissioner but I had to set up an office there was nothing there but all the victims and survivors I've met across the country who are so brave themselves um, and so courageous to share their story which you know as you could imagine are very very emotional and they have felt still traumatized or helping other people and then my highlight was to actually, um, the last day, last week of finishing as Victims Commissioner, I then went to New York for the, to the UN to work with the Victims Advisor there, oh. Jane O'Connor, uh, on a Victims Workshop. And that, I was, I have to say, was so proud to do, um, mm-hmm. because it just, it opened up another world globally of, as you know, you know, people are being rape for a custard cream to feed the children it just opened another avenue so I would like to do some work globally um and ensure you know look at the education there and, and empower women to, to to help um help them you know have a world a lot healthier and less harm I also want to now take them skills to go out and be a speaker to encourage you know empower and be resilient you can turn something around um you know there it is part of me but now I've kind of learned so much i want to give back to others
0: i think it's absolutely fantastic and it is such a story of resilience isn't it and managing to carve out a future um even after something terrible has happened if you were looking back in your life now helen back to 16 year old helen (laughs) helen um what kind of advice do you think you'd give yourself I'm, i'm really interested to know what your answer is really, it's been such a unique life that you've had so far. Yeah, well, I think that's an interesting
1: question, to be honest, because at 16, you know, we left school and um, there wasn't many jobs again. Uh, and that's where I always think of what my father, my late father used to say, you know, they come from poor backgrounds. My mum and dad had two, two jobs to keep me and my sister going. There was lots of warmth within our family. But he always used to say, you know, you have to work hard to, to achieve You can't, it will not come to you if you don't, but an education was paramount in all of this. So, Mm -hmm. you know, he's the one who got me the job in the chip shop, which I was mortified. I said, I can't, you know, I can't speak to people. You know, I'm I'm too shy to do that. And and that (laughs) gave me some confidence, which again, if we look today, you know, how we see in the tech world where nobody talks, do they just in its texting, emailing. You know yeah. that confidence to pick up a phone, which I'm seeing a lot with a lot of people, even my own daughters. What do I say? What do I say? Um, it has always resonated with me, and I think that is what I would look at the bigger picture because obviously the world has changed. You know, it was two p to get on the bus to go to Manchester, and that feel really awesome. Well, like you know, you, you
0: know. say that, and it used to be two p to get on the bus for me to go to school. Yeah,
1: you know, it, you know, it's, it's it,
0: my daughters go, oh, mother, During my you know, vision. but,
1: you know, yeah, but, you know, the, the fact is that, you know, I think it comes from having good parents, and, and my 16, if I'm 16 now, saying there is a bigger picture, but you still have to work at it, you know, um, the problem is we've got lots of celebrities who gain lots of TV work, they gain, you know, from just gifted aids, and, and and it does have to have an education without an education we will never strive and achieve what we want uh, and i think we've also that's the bit i've got to i say to my girls um i'm really proud that of amy who managed to get a degree the other two you know their, their energy was gone uh, but it comes from hard hard work it's never been easy and you know people look at titles today and think you've got the golden you know and I haven't got the golden chalice um you still have to work a title's one thing you still have to work and I'm working class mom so as a 16 year old I would say you can dream but you still have to work and believe in yourself I think it's the confidence in in myself that I would have really said you have got it in there it just needs to come out a little bit quicker
0: (laughs) brilliant I think that's fantastic advice and and one step at a time you know um don't my sense is often have you have your plans um work out what the next steps are to get you in the right direction and then keep on going so one step at a time but as you say that's how you build up confidence and it is incredible you know what you've been able to achieve and yeah I'm sure when you were 16 it would have seemed an impossibility to end up in the house of lords and and doing all of the amazing work you've been doing but it's It's been been an absolute privilege and pleasure to have you on thank you so much for the time and i think a lot of people really enjoy listening to the podcast thank you very much
1: thank you justine it's been brilliant thank you
0: if you've enjoyed this podcast then subscribe to the series or share it with a friend see you next time